Here we go. Want to put her in the mood? Watch a horror movie. When we're scared, our brains pump out dopamine. Same chemical we release when we're aroused. You believe everything you read online. It's like with the paint cans. Oh, my God. Are we seriously back to the paint can debate? I ended that last week. I was unconvinced. No, 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 no. We looked it up. That ER doctor said that the paint can would have smashed the robber's face in. Just admit you're wrong. Dude. What? She's like twice our age. I really don't think it's gonna happen. Five years, big deal. My parents are five years apart. You don't get it, Luke. Ashley's a 10. A solid 10, and you're like a uh... Never mind. She likes me, I know it. It's tonight or never. Okay, go ahead. But my brother gave me weed, so instead of trying to bone your babysitter, maybe we could just, you know, puff puff. No, man, I'm going through with the plan. Don't mess it up for me. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Listening to The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello, and welcome to an extremely special episode of the Fear of God podcast, your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast. As we say on the Fear of God, it is the beginning of wisdom, but it is definitely not the end of the conversation. And I anticipate that we're going to have a very cool conversation today. Right now with you is Nathan. As luck would have it, typically with me is Reed. I do think he's going to show up here in a second, but he did have to wait on the babysitter to arrive to take care of his son while we record. So I'm sure he'll get that squared away. All will be well, and it'll go perfectly according to plan. Um, Today is a super special episode, you guys, even more so than usual. So I want to do three quick things before Reed gets back. Don't don't mind that noise. Don't mind that noise. So I want to encourage you real quick. I want to encourage you to write a glowing review of the Fear of God podcast, because I know it's that's just what's burning in your spirit to do. Or if you just don't feel like you've got the words, leave a five star rating one or the other. Um, we would love that and appreciate it deeply. Uh, the second thing is I want to shamelessly plug my theater production. It's happening in Charlotte. You can get tickets at thebirth.net. Check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, shh, shh, shh. Oh, keep it down. It's all going to be over soon. All right. Three, I want to introduce a guest to you. It's, it's a funny story. I mean, it really is. These things just kind of happened last week. Reed and I, Reed, Reed. Hey, buddy, you're back. Uh, so how how did everything how did everything go with the babysitter read? Well, it, good, but uh, the babysitter stuff went fine. But Nathan is is that? That's a funny story. It really is. I was I was just telling our listeners about how last week you and I recorded a whole episode on today's film. Better watch out. But you yeah. had some major technical difficulty after we recorded, or I mean, and you know, 
I mean, in, in our parlance, perhaps the hand of God intervened and screwed up your audio, <laughs> forcing us to have to re-record. So, you know how I can get I can get a wild hair every now and Na- then, Nathan. Reed, you know? Nathan. Well, I, I know, I know. After the audio debacle, I went and tracked down. Listen, Nathan, is that yeah. over there? Is that yeah. better watch out co-writer and director Chris Peckover that you've got taped to a kitchen chair with duct tape over his mouth? I mean, is that <gasps> what I'm seeing? Good Lord, man. Is that it's not proper. Is that even legal? I, I don't know if it's legal, but it's pretty awesome, right? Nathan, hey. OK, Nathan, listen, I, I love the zeal that you have for these special episodes and for the podcast. I'm not sure that this is the way to go about things. So uh, my apologies. Let me let me just least take the duct tape off of his mouth. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Chris Peckover, uh, co-writer and director of Better Watch Out. Hi. Oh. Hi, guys. Um, so when you told me this was a Christian-themed podcast, I was not expecting this. Yeah. Are you, are you guys going to undo my binds? Well, I mean, I could, but, like, since you're already here, would you would you maybe mind talking to us about your about your movie, answering some questions? Uh, that's great. All right. So, so first, uh, first off, uh, well, actually, I have a whole bunch of things. scene. Thank you. <laughs> Read. Chris, not just writer, not just director, but actor. Thank you. <laughs> and welcome to the show, everyone. It's a, it's, it's an amazing episode that we're bringing to you today. So yes, in fact, um, the co-writer and director of Better Watch Out, Chris Peckover is with us. Thank you so much, Chris, for being willing to hang out. On such short notice, um, it's a it's a real honor to have you here. Um, you you may be like, where is here? So listeners, yes, it is true. We had some technical difficulties, and instead of a pure re-record on Friday, I really was like, hey, why not give it a try? Um, Tis the season or something. And so I reached out to Chris on Twitter, and here we are, like I don't know, three days later. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris, we thought about doing kind of a formal interview, but you know, I I presume that you probably get asked a ton of the same questions. Um, so in the spirit of the season, we just thought we'd invite you into our home and you know encourage you to prop up your feet and we just all kind of have a conversation together if that's all right. Those are my favorite ones. Cool, awesome. Reed, you doing okay, buddy? Oh yeah, yeah, everything's going great. Now that I realize uh, we have not, you know, laboriously broken the law, that's that's that I yeah, feel much better. Yeah. Yes. No, he was he was you know it was a willing sort of thing. He came along. <laughs> um, I was really hoping when you tore the duct tape off his mouth that you were going to do like a Lego Batman rip kind of thing, but you know. Well, I, you should have specified that. that I know. In my I know. Script. I thought about it after the fact, and then I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to nitpick this thing to death, and and the bit's just not going to be funny anymore. So. If it, if it even is to begin with, I don't know, that remains to be seen. Um, so this, everyone, is our second episode in our December series that we are dubbing What the Dickens. Last week, we covered 1974's Black Christmas. Today, we are talking about Better Watch Out. Next week, we will talk about Krampus, and we're going to finish it all off with that most ghostly of Christmas tales, A Christmas Carol, hence the name, What the Dickens. But before we do that, I got a question for you, Nathan. Yeah. What? And is it for Chris too, or is it just for me? No, no. This one, this one. Well, yeah, sure. You know what? Chris is here. I mean, we invited him along. Right. We're, we're we're all just gonna answer it. But uh, but the question is is very simply, what you watching? What you reading? What are you listening to? What you watching, reading, and listening to? <laughs> 
We're idiots, Chris. I don't know if you picked yeah. up on that, but we're we're blatant. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so, Chris. I don't know if you've listened to any shows. There's, sincerely, that's totally fine if you haven't. But we we sing song this stupid segment, and I, today I texted Reed and I was like, "Hey, you really ought to sing this song to the <laughs> tune." Santa Claus is coming to town. So that was an attempt at that. Um, what do you mean an Reed, attempt? I think I did pretty dang, well, dang good. Yeah, you know? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> You're like a songbird. Uh, why don't you explain the segment so that Chris can play yeah, along? Yeah, sure, sure. So, so Chris, basically this is just an opportunity for us to talk about some non-horror-themed stuff uh, that we may have been found, finding interesting or exciting in recent, uh, in recent days. Uh, Nathan, do you mind if I go first? Go right ahead. Okay, so uh, you made a, a very brief, but uh, you know, admittedly by your words, shameless plug for the birth. Which, yes, if you're in the Charlotte area, go check out thebirth.net and go see that show. You will be richly rewarded for it. Um, I'm gonna make a somewhat shameless plug myself. So I've always wanted to do something like this, and I tried my hand at it this Thanksgiving. Um, so uh, listeners of the show, uh, this is non-horror themed, but if you're interested, over Thanksgiving holiday. I finally recorded my first feature-length audio commentary. Uh, I did it for one of my very favorite films, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, so those of you who have listened to the show for a long time, you know I love It's a Wonderful Life. And so if you've ever wanted to hear all of my thoughts on that, I finally recorded my, again, my first uh, feature-length audio commentary. Uh, officially, the commentary is free. So if you are interested in it, you can simply email it for me and I'll send it to you. But I am asking um, if you would like to sort of participate in sort of, uh, you know, just donating to that cause or whatever. Any donations that I get for the commentary, I'm giving to the charity known as The Giving Tree. Uh, which basically provides Christmas presents for people that are, you know, either don't have the means or something has happened. We've had a lot of fires out here in California. So um, so basically, if you're interested in that, in contributing to that, or if you just want to hear the commentary, email me specifically at talks. That's all one word, talks at gmail.com. I will send you the commentary for It's a Wonderful Life, and then a link to where you can contribute by donation at your discretion, if you so choose. So I, I'm kind of using my segment for what you're watching, reading, listening to to make that shameless plug, but uh, but there it is. That sounds awesome, man. Chris, do you have uh, a watching, reading, or listening to you'd like to share? Yeah, ironically, um, I, I'm not a, a full-on religious person, but I'm reading this very interesting book that uh, is it's pretty amazing. It was written in the early 2000s, and it's called The Righteous Mind. Mm. Okay. And the, the, the like subtitle of it is why good people are divided by politics and religion. And it's written, it's written by this, um, psychologist who kind of started in the early nineties, the, the, the area of moral psychology, like how we Mm -hmm. choose what's good and what's not. And and how we Mm kind of like emotionally side with things in, in gray areas. And he wrote all these I mean, the book is pretty science heavy. He he gets very deep into like exactly what his research was. And apparently no one paid any attention to the papers that he published in the nineties. And he basically predicted everything that's happened in the past five years. Like as far as this crazy divide that's happening. And he's like, it goes, it's, it's not anything else except for like basic human psychology, what's going on. And it's pretty. It's been pretty wild, especially with like the Trump divide and the yeah. religious divides and, and sure. just all the social divides that have been happening. It's it's he predicted everything. It's crazy. So I've, I'm kind of eating this book up, and it's it's just changing 
even like how I interact with people, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of like trying to do a better job of of avoiding that divide that he keeps saying we're we're kind of just like psychologically pushed towards. So, out of curiosity, did you? Was that recommended to you? Did you stumble on it? How did you discover that that work? Yeah, I, I got a screenwriting buddy who's uh, uh, pretty pretty awesome. He wrote the uh, the highest grossing Spanish language film of all time. Okay. Oh. Um. Yeah, he's he's doing pretty well for himself, and he recommended the book to me, and I started reading, and I completely got why. I hope I hope people are like taking a second look at this book because it's pretty pretty incredible. That's awesome. What was it called again? It's called The Righteous Mind. I'm going to have to look that up. Absolutely. Well, and for for what it's worth, you classify yourself as not a full-on religious person. You are in good company. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of full-on religious material, I did happen to – my what you're watching is the movie Overlord, which that was a joke. It's, there's really nothing religious about that movie, although it is a really good movie. Um, I did go see that, directed by Julius Avery, uh, quite recently – um it would i think it would classify as kind of body horror um it's it's a really great flick uh this is a bad robot production um there's it's it's funny this is it it actually is probably better for not being this but i kept wanting captain america to show up it's like got this you know 1940s uh nazis creating science experiments gone wrong sort of plot to it and I don't know. It was really worth uh, your time. Listeners to our show would really enjoy Overlord. So that would be my what you're watching, reading, and listening to. Reed, you want to take us out? Uh, I can try it again. Sure, sure. Uh, what you watching? What you reading? What are you listening to? What you watching, reading, and listening to? Now, see, I heard it a lot more that time. I don't know what it was about the first time. <laughs> you are the most critical, but we're not friends. <laughs> no. All right. So um, we are friends. And Chris is our friend. We're, everybody's friends here. So um, um, I did want Chris to play sycophant for just a moment, although this bit was planned before your involvement here. So, you know, it's, it's not purely just because you're present with us, though it is helpful. Um, you know, so... Your movie's called Better Watch Out, which clearly, as Reed just intoned, has a bit of a Christmas Carol kind of vibe to it. And there, I, I don't know, I wanted to test out for the two of you some Christmas Carol theme, Christmas Carol inspired horror movie ideas that, I don't know, we'll just, we'll just sort of see where they go. Okay. Y'all ready? I got four of them. Y'all ready? <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Awesome. So the first one. Uh, you know, just a, 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 a horrific twist on an old favorite. And that is, I saw mommy killing Santa Claus. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anybody? Are, are we supposed to thumbs up or thumbs down? The no, movie? I mean, you're just supposed to, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just sort of, how does it strike you? Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Is that a go for it? You I know, think that's a, I think that's that a great, I think that's a great short idea. I think that's just a fantastic, yeah, like, like short film. I can see it right now. It, it lasts about, Two minutes, and then yeah, a nice a nice little quick thriller. I I enjoy it. I, I appreciate it. Unless it's a TV show and it's all the consequences that happen because Santa's dead now. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and See? all the elves come and come looking for him. <gasps> this is great. That's 
That's going to get dark th- quick. This is, this is why Chris is here, is because he's a professional. This is That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> We're just professional dummies. Um, okay, no, I dig it. So a TV show that's it's kind of like, um, you know, The Leftovers takes place after this terrible cataclysm. I Saw Mommy Killing Santa Claus, the inciting incident for the TV series is Mommy Killing Santa Claus and just all the... That's great. And years later, all these children have grown up presentless, <laughs> and this woman yes. who was mommy is now older now, and she's reviled by every young adult. <laughs> this is amazing. Yes, and awesome. she has to go through life. Ugh. it's great. Yeah, this is fantastic. How do you? How, how would one live with themselves if they were responsible for having killed Santa Claus? <laughs> no, I love it. The TV series is very. That's I love it. That's great. Um, the next one. And, you know, I don't know. This one's, this one might work. It might not work. Rudolph the dead nosed reindeer. <laughs> that one sounds to me like he's got a condition and his nose just like <laughs> falls off. It's like, is, it's, it's actually a, a comedy. It's a horror a comedy. Yes, yes. Clearly he's a leper. And, <laughs> and they're picking on him for all sorts of different reasons than they picked on him before. And it just, yeah, his nose just will not stay on. And it's very unsettling to everybody that comes in contact with him. That's this good. feels this feels less like a movie to me and more like a poster um, about why we need to save the the white rhinoceros. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. From ivory poachers. Absolutely. Yes. Pete, yes. It's Peta endorsed Rudolph the Dead Nose Reindeer. <laughs> I can get behind that. Um, two left. Two two one one pretty good one. One not so good one. Uh, the pretty good one I think is you know it's. Uh, I'll let y'all run with it and pitch me on some ideas here. But Good King Wenceslater. <laughs> you know? Good, good King Wenceslater. Sure. I'm pic- I'm picturing like a period piece, you know? The creature like, design on that has got to be amazing. I want to yeah. I want to see that. I want to see Stan somebody Winston like on a, this. Yeah, uh, somebody like a winner of Face Off or something. Like really go after Good King Wenceslater. I think that would be fantastic. But the the, the interesting part of that is good. Ah, ah, yes. Hmm. Yes. So this isn't just some like crazy Vlad the Impaler. This is a good King Wenceslaughter. So is he? Is he just <laughs> joyous when he does this, ah. or is he slaughtering? Is he like the the Robin Hood of of killers, where he just kills <laughs> the bad people? That's correct. He robs the the rich people of all their presents and gives them to people that don't have any. That's, that's what mm. you're doing. making, Chris. I like having you here. You're making me feel like these are much better ideas than I thought they were <laughs> the first go round. Um, the very very last one here, uh, although that is a good question. You know, there are multiple meanings of good. Is he good at slaughtering? Is he a good king? I don't know. It's it's a it's a dilemma. Um, just, just think he's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, oh, right, yeah. We all think we're good, right? Um, the last one, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I think there's a lot we can do with that. <laughs> but no? nothing. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for playing <laughs> Nathan's idiotic horror movie Christmas Carol pitches. All right, Reed. Do you want to take us into what would be trivial bits? Yeah, so, okay, so Chris, normally uh, when we get into the movie proper, as we're going to do right now, uh, we normally have a segment here called Trivial Bits where we cover, you know, the broader context of the film, but look at a little behind-the-scenes information that we've gleaned either from, you know, Wikipedia or IMDb or through interviews or stuff like that and and just share fun, interesting bits of trivia. Um, But having you here uh, is kind of like an episode-long Trivial Bits conversation because you have all the insight into... 
you know, the development of the story, the production. Um, so feel free to chime in at any point during the conversation with any sort of fun anecdotal bits uh, from behind the scenes or, or anything that you would feel inclined to share. Um, but uh, what, I, what I'd like to do at this particular moment is just sort of ask you, um, I don't know if you get, you, you may get asked this a lot, but I, I like the idea of, oh, actually, before you answer the question and before I finish the question, I'm going to say something that I didn't prepare Nathan for, but I'm, I'm just going to throw it out here right now. So listeners know we spoil everything about the films that we're covering. Uh, we spoil absolutely everything. We are going to spoil absolutely everything about Better Watch Out on this conversation. But um, unlike some other material where we would say, hey, we're going to spoil it all, listen at your own discretion, there are elements of this film that, in my opinion, and I think Nathan agrees, that if you know them beforehand, they dramatically reduce your enjoyment and uh, the experience of watching the movie. So I would strongly encourage, because I want Chris to be able to speak freely and Nathan and I to do so as well. We're going to spoil everything. We highly recommend this film uh, with a brief content advisory warning for some rough language and a little bit of violence. Go check out this film and then come back to the conversation because we're going to be talking about details that you do not want spoiled for you going into this film. So you've been warned. From here on out, it is full-on spoiler territory. That having been said, Chris, is there any sort of anecdote from either the writing or the production side of it that you don't get to talk about very much that you'd like to talk about from, like, it can be trivial, it can be uh, in the depths, whatever whatever it is that you'd like to share that you don't often get to talk about in interviews like this? Oh, man, stories that I don't get to tell often. Um, Well, one of the fun things about the movie is Oh God, you know what? I hate talking about this, which is why I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> talk about it. It's something that I actually specifically don't want to tell people because as soon as you see it, well, okay. Everyone listening has seen the movie now, right? Yes. We've warned them about I'm, spoilers, period. It, it, I'm it, about it, to yeah. ruin something for you. Awesome. Okay. 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 <laughs> so we shot the film in Australia. Um, in fact, summer of Australia, it was blazingly hot. What I have told people in interviews is we were so low budget and we had to shoot on the Fox stage because all the warehouses where we thought we were going to build sets uh, were beneath the the like uh, Sydney airport flight paths. Mm. So we had to film in this giant, in fact, the biggest stage at Fox because all the other ones were taken up by mel gibson's hacksaw ridge oh, okay. and so we were already like half a million out of two million dollars we were already half a million behind budget with how expensive this stage wow. was so what i have told people is it was really hot it was about uh in the 90s to 100s the whole time we were shooting and we only had about two hours of ac every day that we could afford oh man uh because cooling an entire airplane hangar worth of stage is really expensive with all the lights and so on um, you know, and again, we were shooting in Australia. The thing that I don't tell people, and please, please go watch this movie before I point this out, because once I point it out, you won't be able to unsee it, mm. is um, on the day that we started filming, we, again, we were so low budget that we were still building the sets as we started shooting on day one. The first scenes were uh, Luke and Ashley watching the horror movie on the on the couch. Yeah. Okay. And so we're we're in that kind of Christmas tree den area with the with the aquarium beside them. And th at this point the 
the the lobby, like the, the foyer, had still not been fully built. So between takes, they were putting things together. And by the end of the day, we had shot towards the foyer, but I hadn't really gone in there. <clears throat> and it was only once I entered the foyer at the end of the day, I said, uh, guys, what's going on with the doorknob? And it ends up, <laughs> did either of you guys notice how high yes. the doorknobs were? Yes. Oh, I hate, I hate talking about this. Wow. <laughs> so something I did catch before we started filming was they'd put Australian outlets in the walls instead of American ones. So I said, guys, guys, guys. So they got on top of that. What I wasn't able to save before we started shooting, and by the time we'd finished filming that day, we'd always we'd already established the front door in the background. And so that doorknob was there to stay. And I <laughs> I just gave up on the doorknob thing. And so all the doorknobs in the house are really high. They're like they're like nipple height. <laughs> That's so high. funny. Oh because my in God. Australia doorknobs are you reach out from your shoulder and turn. You don't you don't reach from the you don't shoot from the hip. Oh um, my gosh. So everyone's always like, are, were you doing some like some like German expressionism, like trying to make them look like little children as they're getting, you know, uh, attacked through the house. And I say, no, but they're all, you know, like none of these actors were that tall. They're all about five, four. Sure. Yeah. And, and the doorknobs were like at their eyeball level. That's hysterical. And you're, you're not going to be able to unsee this down. In fact, if you watch the trailer, there's, or you can count like 10 doorknob shots. Like it's ever, it's so pervasive through the story and wonderfully. Some people never notice. And I'm so glad, but some people get distracted. They're like, why are the doorknobs so high? This is so weird. That you know, what's hysterical. Fun, what's funny about that. So I, and to fill you in, Chris, so I, I read as our expert. I'm kind of our every man. And so often read will be the curator of exactly what we cover. And so I was unfamiliar with better watch out until a week ago. And so I watched it in prep for our initial coverage. Well, then once this all came in, came together, I, I wanted to rewatch it. Um, so I did that last night and today and, and I noticed that, but now hear me, I was being very observant the second go around because I wanted to be able to be real conversant, uh, with you present, but also, so <laughs> when, when it's most noticeable to me is when, Ashley is leaving the laundry room. Like, God, yeah. You know, when she, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, like it really, it really doesn't take anything away from the enjoyment of the film, especially if it's your first time watching it. But it was funny because literally I thought, is that an Australian thing? Cause I knew you had filmed in Australia just from listening to interviews and stuff. So that's really, that's really funny. That's will hysterical. you, uh, Chris, will you, will you real quick? I know. And I've, since you and I first communicated, I've, I've read a lot of interviews. I've, I've listened to a number of podcasts and I note your, um, need often to dance around the, the, the story and the plot. Will you just, we usually do this when we cover a piece, do a brief summary. Will you summarize real quick, totally spoiler full for us, um, for our listeners? Cause we do have people who just enjoy our podcast and, and don't always listen to every single thing. And so, so that they have context for where some of this conversation goes, will you just give a spoiler full version of a summary? Absolutely. But before I do, I should give a caveat to the story I just gave, which is the man who did the production design for my film mm -hmm. is actually a giant, incredible force. His name's Richard Hobbs. And he was the supervising art director on Mad Max Fury road. Oh, wow. Sweet. In fact, he, 
he couldn't he couldn't even be at the uh, the the rap party at the end of our movie because he had to fly up to Queensland to be the supervising art director on Thor Ragnarok, oh and then he gosh. jumped on to Aquaman. So he's this this was the first not two hundred million dollar film he'd done in ages, and he he doesn't production size often. He's usually second in command as as supervising art director, but he's really good at building sets, and so when he saw this mistake, and again, because he always lives in Australia, he just hadn't, he'd done all his research, but he had not thought of that simple of a thing. He kicks, he kicks himself so much about this. So I, I want to give this with a caveat of my production designer is so embarrassed about this too. So if you ever see him, don't point it out because it'll just make him melt through the floor. Wow. And we don't want to do this to him because he's a lovely, lovely, very talented man. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Um, okay. So the plot as well, you see, when I pitch the movie, I say the movie is about, it's a very kind of like John Hughes setup. It's, mm. it's a 12 year old boy who uh, is, is telling his buddy at the beginning of the film, like basically tonight's my last chance to have sex with my babysitter. She is moving next week and, and I'm in love with her and against his best friend's kind of suggestions that uh, she's like significantly older than you. He goes through with the plan of he's going to make her watch a scary movie, which he hears helps girls get in the mood. And he's going to light candles and order some pizza and and kind of put the moves on her. And as soon as he does, a home invasion starts happening. And while uh, she's trying to kind of get him to safety into a closet somewhere, he's yanking on her wrist saying, like, let go of me. Let me prove to you that I'm a man. So that's the usual pitch that I give, but that's really only the first third of the film. What actually is happening is there is no home invasion. There are no bad guys. This has been set up by our 12 year old main character, Luke, who has staged a break in um, so that he can prove that he's a man and scare away the bad guys and make Ashley fall for him. Unfortunately, she figures out, eventually what's going on before he's able to pull his big move. And so Luke having to think fast knocks her down the stairs and she wakes up tied to a chair. And the rest of the story is a very twisted, very kind of like socially, a social conversation going on about, okay, a 12 year old has his 17 year old babysitter tied up and he's done a very bad thing. How's he going to handle it? And I like to think of Better Watch Out as a movie about people who make bad decisions and then deal with those bad decisions with worse decisions. Man, that's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> that is <clears throat> that is great. Let me ask you a quick question here, and, and you know, this may even steer us into a different segment. But I, on my rewatch, and I started asking myself, so so to tag onto your spoiler-filled, you know, kind of note there. Luke, the lead character that Chris just referred to, ends up attempting to murder four different people uh, through the course of the film, um, gets away with or actually does three. But I guess something that I was pondering in this second go round, and I don't mean to open up a giant door if it does, but to you in your mind, Chris, at what point does he because when he slaps her, you know, clearly a decision is made as a character to to act in a certain way but i was trying to pinpoint okay is there a moment where this kid is deciding 
murder is the way this night ends. You know what I mean? Like, because there's a difference between that's a staging of home. So yeah, the real spoiler of this movie is it's basically young Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, and it's the night Mm. that he starts to figure, like, gets to finally spread his wings. Mm. Um, so you should you should go listen to our American Psycho episode because yes, you will. This is this feeds a lot of that. Yes, (laughs) yes. This is this is a a burgeoning psychopath getting to discover this side of himself for the he's been aware of it he's never gotten to act on it so this this is like the night where he finally gets to to try out some of his you know his fantasies right I think while she was passed out before she wakes up he has already figured out uh, listen there's many different paths that could go tonight what Luke is good at is playing chess. Mm. So, but what I do know is that, um, he, when, by, by the time she wakes up, he's already decided that he's going to try to pin this on, uh, the boyfriend and the ex-boyfriend. Sure. Yeah. One of the things, so you mentioned that, uh, this is steering a bit away from what Nathan had mentioned, but it's, uh, typically, I don't, I don't know what you've been brought up to speed on our, our normal format. Normally we kind of open with some trivial bits, then we go into what we like or didn't like about a film. There's really nothing we didn't like about their film, and that's not just because you're part of the conversation. We really both very highly enjoyed it. Um, and then we go into like what scared us and then get into some thematic stuff. In the realm, one of the big beats on my, what would be on my likes list, is I love the way, either in the writing or the performances, the direction, or both, uh, or all of it, how you handled those ex-boyfriends. Because it would have been so easy, and in some ways you kind of tipped your hand that they were going to be stereotypes, just typical ex-boyfriend, you know, obnoxious, whatever. Um, But they're not really that, either one of them. I know we're only with Jeremy for very, you know, the briefest of moments, but they're, they feel like real people. And I really love that about the way you approached both of those characters because I think it would have been so easy to just make them caricatures, and I don't feel like they are at all. I really feel a great deal of sympathy for them. Um, how, can you talk a little bit about that, their development as characters and your thoughts behind those? Yeah, so that's, that's actually the whole film is playing with archetypes. Ashley is an archetype in the beginning of the film. Luke is an archetype. And one of my favorite things to do Everyone says don't write, write archetypes. I disagree. Totally start with archetypes and then break that mold. Yeah. Um. That's that's what's fun to watch is is to say, oh, I have this character picked, just like you think that you have the movie pegged. I, I this movie to me was like it was like a Christmas present. You you go, you shake the box you're like I know what's in here, and then as you wrap it up, unwrap it, it starts to be very different than what you were expecting. Yeah. Even with the characters, with the plot, etc. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, on, on the page, I wanted to set up the boyfriends as being kind of like, you know, the first boyfriend is, is kind of just, uh, a a very kind of like aggro, you know, like dude, he's like chewing on pizza being like, Oh, pizza. (laughs) Um, But then there's this sensitive side to him, you know, like when, when they say she's upstairs and he's like, Hey, uh, I, I hear that you're dealing with some like lady problems. Do you need me to go get some <laughs> tampons? And he's kind of, that's that, as silly as the line is. It's kind of sweet. And then when they're tied up together, he has this really heartfelt 
monologue that, that was great. I played, yeah. for, I played for laughs because it's kind of like not good timing to have a conversation like this. Mm. And she's in the middle of cutting herself loose and she looks at him like, what the f- are you talking about? <laughs> right, um, right. And, but I, I wanted to, to kind of like unveil our first character as being actually a really sensitive, good person. A, because it's not who you're expecting, and B, because by the time you're finally actually starting to like him, you know, like, I don't like to kill people if you don't like them. I, I want I want you to go, no, I like that person. Right, That's right. To me, if people don't care, they don't scare. Mm. So that was the, that was the fun of, of taking someone who you thought, and we off them, and it's, it's, it's not a fun horror moment. It's kind of like a traumatic horror moment. Yeah, I, I really felt a gut punch when Ricky goes because or everything a, or a or a face smash, a face smash. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, and and like you you alluded to this a little bit. Just there's an there's a very unexpected uh, rhythm to your film, and it, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I felt like this is a film that kind of every time you think you've got it pegged. You throw a curveball into it. One of my favorite moments in it is when uh, he clocks Ricky with the baseball bat, and you think, "Oh no, now Ricky's down." But then Ricky gets right back up, like <laughs> right after that, it starts chasing. Because <laughs> a twelve-year-old can't knock out a dude. Right. Right. No, it's great. And so, and and it it speaks to this whole sort of unexpected again, this unexpected rhythm. You never quite know what to expect, and because you hold back so long, you, you mentioned about not liking to kill people you don't care about. Um, because you hold back so long before there's actual deaths in the film, when when Ricky's death happens, I mean, every single time I've seen the film, which has been about three times now. It has been like it hits me every single time. Like, dang, I did not like. I do not want this to happen. I know it's coming. I see it. I do not want this to happen. Uh, another side moment about that. I love the way. I, I'm a bit ignorant to who you know deserves the credit for certain nuances of this, but I love the aerial shot with the paint splattered, but you see the V where his head was. That shot yeah. is fantastic because it tells you everything you need to know about the horrors that are right there and your restraint. Uh, I think a lesser, well, not necessarily a lesser, but a different approach to it would have been to just show everything. I loved the way you handled that whole thing because I think it's to maximum emotional effect the way you handled it. And yeah, I, I, I love everything about those characters and, and even, sadly, their, their exit from the film. Thank you. You know, Guillermo del Toro tweets a lot about horror and creature design and he's a, he's a great person to follow if you guys don't follow him but he once had a quote about like the ratio of how much you show versus you don't show mm. and i i read this and i said my god this is exactly what i do i just never put it into words but I, i've always called it the the jaws effect you know the very opening scene of jaws is pretty gruesome yeah it's pretty horrifying um and and way more graphic than you're expecting. And then you spend the next hour occasionally seeing gore for the most, but for the most part, just seeing three barrels barreling towards the boat. And you're petrified because you know, what's attached to those mm-hmm. barrels. Mm-hmm. And it's way, you know, if, if, if Spielberg had gotten his way and, and the shark had worked, I don't know if Jaws would have been nearly as effective because it's, it's way more about establish what's awful and, and give the audience a taste of how bad things can be, but then don't show it. It follows to the same thing. There's this really, really gruesome image on a beach of a girl with a broken leg dead at the beginning. And then there's almost no gore or violence for the next, like, 
70 minutes or something. Right. So uh, Guillermo del Toro said, spend about a third of your time showing it and then two thirds of your time not. Mm. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's an almost forgettable moment in the movie, but I did my first moment where I showed gore. I guess besides Garrett getting shot in the backyard where you see a little bit of blood splatter from it. Right. The first like full on you see it happen and it's quick and nasty is uh, to follow with that baseball moment when Ricky gets back up onto his feet and chases after Luke and actually throws him onto the ground and uh, is is throttling him. And Luke finds that pencil under the, the yeah. carpet. And he spins around, and I wanted to get this in a single shot. We ended up having to shoot this shot like 15 times because that was a a fake pencil with a retractable tip with a spring inside so that the tip would just kind of like go into the shaft of the pencil. Mm. And we had to go fast enough so that it looked like a stab, but slow, you know, like controlled enough so that he didn't accidentally like you know, Luke, you know, he, he's still actually stabbing at his face. He could have gotten in the eye. So we had to do it very measured, but all in one shot, uh, Ricky's holding him and Luke spins around and without even having time to really see Ricky's face plunges the pencil right into his cheek. Yeah. And it's horrifying. And then you see him pull the pencil out of his cheek and it's gross. And even though it was a little moment that you don't really remember, it's the first promise of we're going to, we're going to go stabby or we're going to show, awful things so that by the time there's this big, big, big uh, build up to the paint can scene, you know what's happening. You know it's going to happen. And you just have this dread because you may have forgotten the pencil moment, but you know that the movie's willing to go there. And so well, I, I the think fact the, that you then don't see it, it leaves it up to your imagination all the more. Totally. And, you know, before we drift too far from this notion, I think, you know, the the value, as Reed referenced, I think you know, things that you don't see. So, for instance, the paint can face smash. Um, you know it's happened, but, but you know, fortunately, and I applaud your sort of restraint there, you don't literally see a, a face imploding. But I think the, the strength there, and it resurfaces two other times that I would point to, which is the final shooting of Garrett um when when Luke shoots Garrett the second time and, and and finishes him off. And then also the stabbing of Ashley. All three of those moments and and you know, I'm sure there's some some technical stuff we can talk about here too, but from a pure character and emotional and narrative standpoint, there's so much more value in me as a viewer seeing the people who are perpetrating these things and how what has happened affects them. So like the paint yeah. The paint can in the face. I mean, and and kudos to your cast. You, you've got a, a, a wonderful cast here, and uh, we at the Fear of God are super fans of the visit. And so you've got you know Olivia De Young and Ed Oxenbolt here again together, which is awesome. But her response to the paint can is just dreadful and heartbreaking. Well, then powerfully, uh, Garrett's final the final blast to kill him. It's all from from his perspective, but you're seeing Luke and Luke is yelling at him, blaming him. Well then, you know, the, the final moment that converts Luke to Patrick, little Patrick Bateman is the knife stab and he's completely resolute. And that's just a real, I don't know. I think that does more for your storytelling than, and I'm sure there's a case to be made that to show the gore more often or frequently or grotesquely has its place. 
But to me, for the narrative and for the character beats, which I think you're after, it just achieves a lot more to see their response as opposed to the literal viscera. Yeah, because as long as you know a movie's willing to go there, there's nothing scarier than seeing someone's face reacting to something that you're not seeing. Yeah, Sure. If if your imagination, if the pump of your imagination's been primed, to me, the most exciting shot in the movie was in the paint can scene when we I cut to Ricky's feet as they kind of like yeah. shudder yeah. from getting the impact. You see the paint actually land behind him on the floor, and then you see this yellow paint start dribbling down his shins mm. in the foreground, and then some red blood dribbling down his shins, and you, you see everything that you need to know. It's great. No, it's fantastic. I love his line too. And here's another thing that um, listeners who uh, probably have not seen the film but just ignored us entirely and then just barreled right into the conversation. This film is also terribly funny. Like there's a lot of both subtle and overt humor in it. And I like Luke's line later in the film where he's like, you look like a hot dog. Because it's like the the yellow paint mixed with the blood. I'm like, yeah, it looks like ketchup and mustard. That's that's a brilliant throwaway line, but it's so great. There's little subtle touches in there that uh, I think the film really rewards viewing multiple times because you pick up on things that you might have missed the first time through. Like those little lines like that. Absolutely. I My favorite movies are ones that completely change the second time you watch them, a good, a good example being like the sixth sense where you, once you know the twist, the movie's still excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been fun this year. You know, last year it was, it was really fun watching on social media, people discovering the movie and saying, Hey, this is some thing that went under the radar. It's really good. And then this year it's been fun seeing people being like, I'm just watching this for a second time. And I had more fun the second time because I knew it was, what was really happening and yet now i got to see how the setup happened for it yeah and like you know like i don't know there, there's there are definitely some holes in the movie but i did a real good job of hiding them like a lot of people <laughs> yeah for most people when they watch it through again they're like yeah every every single setup gets paid off in some way well what's oh. so funny about that so i i i am a fan of the movie watching experience that's completely fresh in other words like Especially for what we do for Fear of God, if Reed's like, hey, these are the couple movies we're covering, if I'm unfamiliar with them, I will generally not familiarize myself with them and just sort of turn it on. Um, I won't read the summary. I won't you know, watch a trailer. And so I, I knew nothing about Better Watch Out before that first viewing. And those first – but I'm a savvy enough sort of – I think. I'm, I'm a savvy enough filmgoer and hopefully a smart enough adult. In those first 20 minutes, you're like, something – this like the rhythm is the pace is a little interesting. Like I don't, but it was so subconscious. Like I wasn't anticipating any sort of twist. I had no idea of the, you know, sort of elements that were coming. So then when he slaps her, I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was a very real, like, okay, now I'm really on board now because, you know, I did not, I did. I just didn't know we're getting effectively two stories, you know, which is this home invasion piece. And then this, as you've alluded, this kind of descent into madness, if you will. So I, I just I don't know. I was, I was really a fan of the experience of, of watching it the first time. Uh, Chris, uh, something we like to talk about is just sort of the scares aspect. Um, feel free. I, I am curious from your point of view, you know, I know I'm kind of poising you for something that could be an hour long sort of diatribe here. And I'm, so I'm trying to figure out how to make this a little more granular, but you know, you're a, 
a horror director, at least in this case. And and one, feel free. I know you've done Undocumented, but I've not watched it uh, yet. Um, this all happened very quickly. Um, but, you know, speak to your kind of, you know, entree into the horror world. I mean, what did, did you set out to do that? You know, read. Um, if you listen to any podcast, you'll discover read, watch Psycho in the womb. So it Let's was like very ingrained. <laughs> it was very ingrained in him. But but in seriousness and in deference to Reed's experience, I mean, he just has a real sort of, uh, you know, 30 years now of, of looking back at this. And so I'm curious from your standpoint, one, you know, kind of walk us through at least in brief, you know, what got you into specifically horror. But two, I know this is a big question and feel free to follow it as as deeply or as as shallowly as you want. But but kind of what scares you, what drives you, what sort of keeps you up at night, um, you know, and, and compels you to put stuff like this on paper. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I gravitated towards horror really early and it was partly uh, it was partly my mom's fault. I don't know if you guys I've, I've told this story a couple of times, but uh when I was five and my brother was three, uh, our parents were like, "Yeah, we don't need to get babysitters. It's just we're just going out for dinner, like a date night." So my mom rented Child's Play, thinking it was a kids' movie. <laughs> oh my gosh! And put it on. And like, I don't know how recently you guys have seen this movie, but the very opening scene oh, is yeah. horrifying. There's, there's there's a madman getting chased by cops, and he does voodoo to put himself into a doll, and <laughs> I. <laughs> was so frozen I couldn't get up I remember like being kind of catatonic where I could just watch but not move my body and I couldn't get up to turn the TV off or leave the room I watched that whole thing and I mm. I, 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 I was afraid of the dark until I was 13 that's 8th grade oh my gosh I was terrified of the dark I maybe the worst thing in the world was having to get up and go pee <laughs> so i will continue on what got me into horror as a filmmaker but i'll answer the question of what are you most afraid of it's putting my ankles or putting my heels on the ground to go pee because <laughs> i know chucky's gonna swipe at my my achilles tendons That's or hilarious. or sitting on the pot because I, <laughs> I, I i have i have to sit to pee at night because I've made too many messes otherwise <laughs> sitting there because I don't want to turn the lights on because when you turn the lights on you're blinded and you can't see into the dark so I keep it dark but then I have this really long hallway view from my from my from my toilet so sitting there and the you know how the dark kind of melds a little bit the further mm -hmm. away it is from you the scariest thing in the world to me is sometimes I can see a figure at the end of that dark hallway <laughs> it's it's being alone in the the vulnerability of having your 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 pajamas at your ankles in the dark in your own home are that's you awesome you? yeah um but to continue your question of of what got me into it obviously um a part of it is i i felt like i needed to confront this horrifying fear of the of chucky and and the by the way i've met don mancini he knows that i he ruined my childhood oh my <laughs> so there's that but there's also there's also a good side to horror um because as i got older i grew up in the smallest county in texas it's called rockwall texas and you know like 
I don't know if you guys have ever been kids in Texas, but boys there, you know, we we weren't exactly like emotionally touchy feely. It was a very kind of gruff 11 years old. So, you know, I'm, I'm as an adult, I, I think I can, I can admit that I'm someone who craves emotional intimacy. I, I would way rather have dinner with two friends at home than go out to a bar. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had all these friends and we were all kind of like, yeah, we're, we're kids, you know, rough and scrap and, and, you know, like it was all about bravado. But then when we went to watch a horror movie, um, something would happen. And after the movie, we'd all be talking about how it made us feel. Oh, my God, didn't that scare you? It scared me, too. And it was like having gone through war together. Mm. Um, and weirdly, I feel like watching horror, I guess watching horror alone is one thing. But for me, my favorite part of horror is watching it with a community of people. Mm-hmm. where you come out of it all having kind of survived something together. Mm. And there's this unspoken bond. And I know this bond exists with, with horror fanatics who, who go to the festivals and so on. And you just all come out of it and you just feel a little bit closer. It's like an intimacy without having had to do anything. Yeah. So for a kid who grew up in Texas, that was, that was a really, that those were some of my favorite moments. If you, Chris, if you want to learn a little bit about the, intimacy that happens in the horrors of a horror going experience. Just listen to Reed and I, Reed and I went together last year to Halloween horror nights at universal and you can't see us right now, but Reed is like five, five, eight ish, five, seven, somewhere in there. I'm I'm five, seven. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. You gave me a couple of minutes. Okay. Okay. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, no, no. And well, and I'm six two. We are like opposite physicality. And We're Danny DeVito I and Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins, is what he's going to. Yes, yes, yes. And more or less, he was piggyback. I was he was giving me a piggyback ride through the mazes because I was so freaked out. And yes, it was <laughs> yes exactly what you're talking about. Um, the the horrors, the 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 brotherhood born by experiencing horror together. So yes, I can personally attest to that. But see, Chris, here's the, here's the thing he's not telling you. So I don't know if you've been, I don't know <laughs> if you've been to these, these, you know, Halloween horror nights or the like a sort of a scare haunt experience. Um, I enjoy them a lot. I love getting scared. I yelp like a little girl. It is not, you know, like I, I enjoy the experience, but um, I had never gone through it with Nathan before last year. And as he was saying, yes, he's, he's, barely exaggerating when he says I'm giving him a piggyback ride, barely exaggerating. (laughs) And he is cuddled up like super close to me while we're walking through the mazes, but I'm up front. And here's the thing, especially if you go to something like a universal, there's a safety, a, a psychological safety in knowing they can't touch you. But what I was not prepared for was that normally, you know, Bagul or whatever, like jumps out at you and you yelp and you, you know, uh, you you move on down the line. Right. But when Bagul jumped out at the Nathan-Reed hybrid, (laughs) Nathan would, like, just instinctively dodge to the left. So I would get the scare as some unwieldy force is shoving me into the wall. I I was traumatized. Chris, it was... was 
it was something that I was I still am kind of trying to recover from because it was like every single time we would get scared, he would pull me back or push me forward or throw me into them or whatever he was trying to like. I was a literal human shield through every single one of these mazes. I was exhausted. It was still it was a lot of fun. But boy, I was I was beat to pieces uh, metaphorically and literally, honestly. And, you know, I'm sure 90 percent of you was like. Nathan, I hate you. That was terrifying. Yes. But I bet 10% of you felt like I was the Papa Bear. (laughs) (laughs) It's so rare for me to get that. You're absolutely right. I was protecting my friend. That's exactly right. He was. That's exactly right. That Jack Nicholson, you know, from The Shining was jumping out. You, you, help me, Reed. Help me. (laughs) You're getting red rum. Red rum. Oh my gosh. That's so great. Um, I do want to mention one thing since we're talking about scares and stuff and coming back into the movie. Um, so, Chris, there is one thing that I quite literally hate you for. Um, I mean, I adore you, but I quite literally hate you for when uh, she's standing by the counter by the like kitchen island and all of a sudden this <laughs> big mother effing spider just decides to jump into the screen. I am deathly afraid of them. Uh, and in my household with my wife and son, I am the de facto spider killer. But uh, but I have at least one story in my life where I have been bitten a couple of times by them and had all of the the awful after effects of what happens when uh, the right kind of spider bites you. Um, so I'm very, very afraid or of the them. wrong kind, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The wrong kind of spider. But uh, but yeah, that that whole sequence I was like, now I do think it's brilliant. Because and maybe I'm reading too much into your film. You can verify and shoot me down, or you can affirm me. That's your choice. But um, I, I did think in rewatching it that whole spider sequence, and I'm like, oh, Luke, Luke's a little bit like a spider. I don't know how intuitive he is with his whole little web, but he's a little bit like one, particularly when he's defending the poor creature, like it didn't do anything wrong. And I'm like, yeah, right. But boy, I was just like, just the presence of it there just gives me the willies every single time I think about it. It's so that spider scene. It does a couple things. Um, a, it, it it's it's seven minutes into the movie, and at this point, it's felt purely like a comedy. Yeah. Uh, so it's the first jump that no one sees coming. Uh, funny story. We had to use huntsman spiders in Australia um, mm. because they don't have wolf spiders, which is what I wanted growing up in Texas. I I had some run-ins with some wolf spiders that weren't so fun. <laughs> And a funny, interesting thing, which is um, if you tap the abdomen of a huntsman, it will just zip forward. It it won't go left or right. It just goes straight forward. So that was – there were a lot of animals in the movie. There was a cat. um, There were fish. uh, There's this spider here. um, And interestingly, the one that was the easiest to work with was the spider. Oh, my gosh. Because it was just sitting there, and we had it kind of like – right beside the cereal bag so she's putting her hand in and eating cereal while talking on the phone and we angled the camera so that it looks like the spider's coming right out of the cereal but it really came just from behind it and we just had the the spider trainer just go boop and touch it <laughs> and it zipped and hilariously olivia olivia de Jong is petrified of spiders i'm not gonna i mean maybe we should go into how she i i will definitely talk about the attic scene in a second but oh, um okay she she was so terrified of spiders and i was like it has to reach your hand if you if you can let it touch your hand before you pull away that will be gold 
And the first, like, five takes, her hand goes up way before it goes <laughs> And I was like, Olivia, you have to go longer. And she's like, Chris, I'm really afraid. It's a really large spider. And Huntsman's bite. I go, I know. <laughs> oh my God. And she finally, finally on the sixth take, it zips forward. And she lets it not just touch her, but also crawl up onto her finger before she pulls away. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. She... She was not near tears, but I knew in her heart she was. Oh my um, so the story that I need to tell you guys is, again, like I said, we were we were so far behind budget, and there were I, I, visual effects are incredibly expensive in Australia. There's mm. it's it's kind of like a, a small pond, big fish situation where there's just not that much competition. So the cost of doing VFX in Australia is like five times what it is in the U.S. It's it's kind of absurd. So my producers were telling me we have to cut we have to cut scenes that have VFX in them because this won't work. And one of the scenes was she needed to have a couple spiders on her upper body and face oh, in the attic. Um, and I just remember sitting with my head in my hands in the in you know like during lunch just trying to figure out. I, I, it may not seem like it's necessary, but that that scene where she gets spiders on her is actually really, really important emotionally mm. um, because I, I needed her to go from the leader to actually so rattled that Luke can take control and say, I'm going to go get the gun. Mm, and yeah. because otherwise, she'd be like, no, I'm not going to let you. I needed her to be completely rattled. So I couldn't think of another way to do it, um, especially because we'd already established the spider earlier and I, I needed to connect that those were Luke spiders. So when, when she, uh, Olivia kind of found me, she's like, what's the matter? I was like, I, there's, there's a shot that's going to cost over $50,000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, I, I have to cut, I don't know what to do. And, and I told her what it was and she was like, why don't we just do it for real? And I looked at her and I was like, Olivia, it took you six takes to let a spider touch your hand. <laughs> and she goes, if I can save the movie fifty thousand dollars, I'll do it. And wow. I'm telling you, in that attic scene, because she doesn't just have spiders on her, she's on wires hanging upside down. Her head is is like poke. She's basically fallen backwards into the attic door hatch, right? And she's hanging upside down as when Luke catches her. She had two spiders on her face. We did five takes of it. Oh my gosh! And she's screaming and she's screaming. Um, and it was real screaming. I bad. Hated it. Oh. But she did five takes for me, and you know the last two takes were beautiful. The other three takes, every time the moment I said action, she started screaming. The spiders just hop off her face because they were terrified. <laughs> <laughs> but we got two takes where they kind of skittered around her face, and one kind of like went down her neck and onto her shirt. Ay, ay, ay. And it's entirely because Olivia de Jong is like the hardest working actress I've ever met. Oh my god. She she is going to she's like she's like Tom Cruise level. I I will I will do anything. She's like Brad Pitt level. You know, I I'm nothing nothing is too difficult for me to try and and do. So, and she was only 17 when we were shooting. I can't wait to see where she goes because she's got she's got so much She's got balls. Yeah, no kidding. She's braver than I would have ever been. There's no way I would have done five. T like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'd have been like, 
we're gonna have to fundraise for this fifty thousand dollars. I don't know how you're gonna make <laughs> you're gonna make the movie. <laughs> be like, I'll start I'll do a, a bank <laughs> a bank sale. I'm gonna go fund me page or something. I'm not putting those things on my face. I'm just letting you know. Exactly. Well, hilariously, both times I watched this movie, I leapt uh, up in the air when the, the first spider scene on the hand. I, like even having just watched it two days prior, that it, it happened, and it scared me again. Um. I want to be sensitive to time and I want to be sensitive to potential uh, conversation here. And so I, 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 one, just again, so it doesn't go without being said multiple, multiple times. Chris, thank you so much for being here. But I want to pivot us into some thematic ideas. And so when I first watched this and, and Reed, feel free to throw in stuff as it comes to you. But when I first watched this, I'll say this. So. I've got three daughters. They're uh, all 10 and younger. And so I'm very cognizant of the, the, the shape of the world around me. And, and, you know, some of the ideas you discussed that you're reading about in the righteous mind. And, and so I'm very sort of conscientious and sensitive to culture and what, how it looks and all that sort of stuff. And so when you start showing me this essentially crazy, but, but even that's too dismissive, perhaps, um, thoughtful, uh, uh, calculating child execute. Entitled. Yes. Yes. Entitled executing on some rather troubling, as you put it earlier, fantasies and, and behaviors that are now manifesting in real life. And, you know, for me personally, Luke Reed mentioned earlier, we have no dislikes of this movie. I would only asterisk that to say, the character of Luke is a giant dislike to me. And, and, and I can accept him as just sort of a, a, an interesting character, as you said, in the vein of like a Patrick Bateman. But if I try to take him seriously, he enrages me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a, uh, it's a very real visceral response. Yeah. So, so that really had a neat or not a neat, but really had a profound effect on me watching it the first time and, and sort of digesting some of this. Well, then um, I'll, I'll, you know, kind of use your own words, not necessarily against you, but hopefully to pivot us into some maybe deeper waters here. You're a couple of different interviews. You made some, some commentary about at least the, the overall thesis sort of the, the thematic idea. Um, and one of those quotes that I'm going to read here and then would ask us kind of all to, to pick apart and, you know, kind of unpack. You said being as smart as you are, speaking specifically of young people, because you have instant access to everything that you could possibly think about. What effect does that have on people who might be emotionally damaged in some way? And I read a quote like that and, and Reed and I on the show um, often talk about, I mean, I, we're both in our late thirties. And so you know, we recognize how culture impacts us individually, but we're also now parents and, and, and the, the world our kids are starting to grow up in and sort of the scariness of it and, and the ability to deal with the scariness of it. And, and so, you know, you talk about the idea of kids growing up with the information of the world at their disposal constantly. And what that does, I don't know. It's just a really fascinating springboard for conversation. I'd love if you, we can all unpack it, but if you'd speak a little bit to that quote and or kind of your thought process with developing 
that thematic idea. Yeah. I mean, listen, it all comes back from, or it all goes back to John Hughes, whose movies I both love in that, you know, in the, when you talk to teenagers who grew up in the eighties, who watched those movies, they were like, those movies were exactly what it was like. So I really wanted to mimic that for 2017. I, I, I wanted for 12 year olds to be able to watch this movie and be like, I, 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 I'm like Garrett or I've had feelings like Luke before. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's hilarious is even though the movie is totally rated R, um, I've had a lot of like 12 year olds reach out to me and be like, this was exactly like how things sound and feel to us. So that's, which is both terrifying, but also very gratifying that I was able to capture like kind of like the darker side of what it's like to be. Sure. Right. So I, I, I both love John Hughes because he was so true to that voice, but also he was so irresponsible in some ways. And, you know, part of the fun of Better Watch Out was how do you take a really like nostalgic 80s kind of premise? Like, oh, the 12 year old's in love with his babysitter and everyone watching movies like I remember that. I remember having a crush on my babysitter. But then actually saying, let's take a realistic look at the the personality type of a 12 year old it would take to actually follow through with the, with the entitlement of, of trying to get your babysitter to have sex with you or fall in love with you. Sure. Cause if you think about it, it's actually really awful. And, and, you know, we, you know, wonderfully right when the movie came out, the me too movement happened like the same month. Mm. And I didn't really have words for what the me too movement was yet while I was making the movie, but that's kind of the feeling that I was going for. So the fact that they kind of coincided, I think that's one of the reasons why everyone started picking it up in the movie. Cause I, I thought it was going to be more like a wheedling thing that maybe some people would notice, but yeah, this, so this, this entitlement. So as for the quote, 12 year olds right now have never known a world without internet. They are all way smarter if you look at sat scores if you look at just raw like intelligence they are just smarter than they were 10 years ago and much smarter than they were 20 years ago they are they are um intellectually matured much faster but on the flip side of things uh they are emotionally and again i'm talking averages right emotionally less mature they're spending more time alone on the phone and less time FaceTime interacting with people. They're still getting some of that. Some of them are getting a lot of it, but on, on average, we have this weird world we're bringing them up in where they have access to all the information and yet less access to know how to handle it or deal with it, deal with themselves. And this creates a really odd juxtaposition where you're used to being really intelligent. So there's this entitlement and there's this, this bravery that they maybe don't deserve to have yet because they don't know how to deal with people or themselves or, or their feelings yet. So that's, that's just all teenagers. And then further, I paired that with, you know, secretly wanting to tell a story of what's it like being a young sociopath right now. Sure. And that's that. And he's, kind of the ultimate version of that. So smart. You would never want to play chess with this 12 year old. He'd beat you. He would see moves ahead of you. And yet some of the fun of the movie was when he does his most horrifying things. I, I, as often as I could, I wanted to juxtapose that with reminding you, by the way, he's 12, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, 
I don't know if you guys remember, there's there's a moment when uh, Ricky has his mouth covered in tape and he grumbles something and Luke grabs his gun, sticks it in Ricky's basically like past the bridge of his nose into like the socket of his right eye and is saying, say it again, whatever you said, say it, I dare you. And he, he finally uncovers Ricky's mouth and Ricky goes, I need to piss. And he just pees himself. And what was a really horrifying moment immediately to me turns funny when Luke goes, ew, stop it. And he like <laughs> flails his hands, marches over to the, the kitchen, grabs like some, some like kitchen rubber gloves and starts wiping up the mess. Um, and it was just a reminder to me, and it, I, I try to do this as often as I could in the movie, where like he is incredibly smart, incredibly aggressive, has all this built-up anger and rage, and yet he's still a 12-year-old. and, and Which you know, is the scary part. Which right. is the scary part. Right. It's both funny and scarier. Because in that spirit, there were two other moments, too, that are exactly what you're talking about, where... Garrett is in the other room smoking pot and Luke comes in yelling at him like my mom's going to kill us or my parents are going to kill us. I don't remember the exact line, which is just hilarious because it's like, well, <laughs> that's what they're that's what you're going to be in trouble for. Is that's just what you're concerned about? Hilarious sort of disconnect. Well, then and this is sort of I don't know enough about the psychology of, you know, sociopath or what have you. But when. What's so scary to me is that final moment before he kills Garrett and he is yelling at him, look what you made me do. Like, yeah. why did you make me do this? And just that it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's off the charts, intellectual aptitude married to bottom barrel, emotional processing potential yeah. capability. And, and the level of just, disconnect is staggering and and again it's maybe i'm in a phase of life where i things like this freak me out in a real tangible way in a way that they might not in a different era but i look at luke and i think is he drama is it heightened drama for filmmaking potentially but there are more and more Luke's happening every day and it's scary as crap. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really it's on the same subject that I really, I loved it the first time around and it's only grown in a, in a steam in my mind as I've watched the film again. It, when Luke is spending so much of the movie trying to be this big man, trying to it's essentially a mo moments of control and power but he's driving towards trying to be seen by Ashley as somebody she would want to sleep with which in his mind equates to she just needs to find me more mature older the protector sort of idea and then that's going to you know make her attracted to me and such and such but then uh towards the end of the film this, this might be my favorite moment in the film from a thematic perspective, even though I don't fully understand everything that it's trying to say, and I'm actually not going to ask you to, to like explain it all for me. But she's wrapped up in the duct tape and the Christmas lights. I, I, I had told Nathan she looks like some sort of twisted Christmas tree, like she's some sort of macabre Christmas tree <laughs> sitting there. But he, towards the end of the film, tells that story about missing his mom tucking him in, and that gets me every time, because I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is a 
a, a person who has spent the bulk of this movie trying to develop the facade of maturity. And yet we see this glimmer towards the end of everything that he's done of, I just want my mommy to tuck me in again. And then even towards the end, like, you know, before the very final, you know, shot of the film pre-credits, when he's in his mother's arms and you see that smile again. And I just found it so fascinating. And her, I, I don't know, because I know you co-wrote this film, so I don't know and don't really need to know the, the ins and outs again of who receives credit for what. But good Lord, the for my part, the brilliance of, he says that line about his mother not tucking him in anymore, and then she says, I know exactly why she stopped. And then refuses to explain it for him. I... I Chris, I love that moment so much. Again, I don't even fully understand it. I'm not sitting here with some sort of bumper sticker. I love this moment because it speaks to the psychology of blah, blah, blah. I just, the moment just resonates. This this power of he does not know how to handle everything he's done, does not know how to handle the world, and in some ways is trying to push forward, but then in other ways is constantly reaching backwards to I want mommy to tuck me in. And then... Ashley as a character and Olivia DeYoung as a DeYoung DeYoung. I apologize if I'm butchering her name, but uh, her. As... Hey, at least you're not pronouncing the J. It's DeYoung. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but the the her maturity as a performer and the character of Ashley's maturity there. I just I love that moment so much. Again, I don't even fully know what to make of it, but just I know exactly why she stopped. And then he rails at her and lashes out at her, and she refuses to give him the satisfaction of an explanation. That is that's a, a that's a great moment, powerful moment, yeah. wonderful, uh, wonderful way. And of course, he has no choice in that moment in his paradigm. He has no choice, of course, but to but to kill her, um, which is again emotionally devastating in that moment. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's it, there's so much in this film that speaks to me about this stretch towards maturity, while only only really glorifying and and further exemplifying how immature you may really be and maybe it is this this disconnect between intellectual capacity versus emotional capacity there was a you know obviously we're a christian themed podcast and we, you know we have subjects about philosophy and and all kinds of things in broader context but there's a there's a passage of the bible uh from first corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 it's often quoted in different contexts but it just says when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child when i became a man i put the ways of childhood behind me and i've thought about that particular sort of again paradigm a lot in sort of trying to wrap my head and heart around this film and what it speaks to me. And there is just this whole, there's multiple layers of we want to be perhaps further down the maturity line than we truly are. And the wisdom and perhaps the power in just really recognizing, hey, we're not there yet. And maybe maybe because we're not there yet, we ought not to be meddling with things that are for that time period or for that place. Um, but mm. so often we're pushed into that or so long or, or maybe uh, inversing that we crave it so much that we reach for it uh, prematurely. Anyway, uh, those are those are a few of my thoughts. I don't know if you have any responses to any of that or uh, it wasn't. I do. Question, but yeah, go ahead. So let's let's go there. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to answer everything because part of the fun of, I mean, listen, everyone's hopefully already watched the movie. Yeah. And, right. but part of the fun of my favorite movies, um, 
I feel like if I knew exactly what the filmmaker was intending, they they would let get less interesting. Mm. But I will say, did you guys notice that the uh, the noise machine he listens to when he's uh, sleeping is it's a, a fetal heartbeat. Yeah. 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 My composer, if you listen to the song that's playing over his monologue when he's explaining that his mom basically stopped tucking him in, you can actually hear that, that song oh, that's that's awesome. playing through the song. Um, you know, why, why did his mom stop, stop holding him, stop hugging him? I, I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, I'll, I'll say one thing that it could be. I I, I, my, I myself know there's a couple options, but um, I don't know which one it is. I do know that on some level, it, because as as you know, you know, don't don't watch any scary movies because you're not gonna be able to sleep. And and she's hovering over him, and she's got the pencil that she balances on his door. She's obviously over mothering, hmm. but there's a reason that she stopped tucking him in and touching him. And on some level. And this is the thing that Ashley doesn't say. On some level, she could sense that her something was wrong with her son. Mm. And real interestingly, um, this whole night may have just been uh, a a sociopath spreading his wings. And on another level, it might have been a big cry for help because, you know, say what you will about what happened that night. But when his mom comes home, um, she's holding him hard. Mm. And it may not be the best of circumstances, but he's in his mom's arms again. And in fact, I don't know if you remember, but that's actually the final image is the irony of him at the, the window watching as Ashley gets wheeled away, still alive in the ambulance, right. flipping him off. And the last shot is him in the window and his mom comes from behind and holds him again. Oh, oh my gosh, that's so great! Well, so he 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 got his wish, but uh, at a price. At what cost? Right, right. Yeah, and I I don't know. There's there's the there's the narrative literary version, which is the sociopath spreading his wings, which actually I think is great and and really feeds a really cool trajectory character wise. And then there's the social, you know, examination of what happens when you funnel the world's knowledge into a, a brain unready for it <laughs> and yeah. you know man and I, think, I, and I think it can be both i think yes, he can be yeah, a sociopath yeah. spreading his wings and he's a 12 year old who on maybe even just a subconscious level he's just trying to get his mom back to him yeah right and that's so well and, uh, and i know reed yeah, you know kind of patted you on the back for this but you know even haven't seen it a second time i think you know, there's, there's, there's something I'm, I, I'm ignorant enough to, to know that what I'm, the vernacular I'm about to use is going to sound dumb, but there's something in the celluloid in that moment between Ashley and Luke right there at the end. I mean, like that's, that's real powerful and her performance and, and Levi Miller is great, no, no doubt, but her, the emotionality she's plumbing there and the way you guys captured that just man it, it it lodges deep and really really sort of reflects back some really powerful stuff levi has the role that's the most fun to watch he got sure. to have the largest range from from innocent horny kid to nightmare child to charmer and everything so he a lot of people always point at his role as being the the, the coolest part of the movie 
But I and I, I keep singing her praises. The movie would not have worked if we hadn't have had someone of the caliber of Olivia yeah. to balance it out because she think of this. The second the, the, the last two thirds of the movie, most of the time, her mouth is covered up with duct, duct tape. Right. She doesn't get to say things. And yet she was so emotive with her eyes, her eyebrows, her crinkle of her nose. You knew exactly what she was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's. She's uncannily good at at expression. She would have been such a great like silent film actress, and she's also a powerhouse. Um, I I got to go as big and and flamboyant and crazy with Luke and Garrett as I did because she played things so real and so grounded. Yeah. If she'd been acting kind of loopy too, it, none of it would have worked. Yeah, totally. I don't want to regress us, but I want to make one one comment again about the the that moment in general. It's it literally coming to me in the moment in real time. Um, I already felt emotionally riveted by Garrett's death, which is heartbreaking. But mm. the very last thing that Garrett says as well before yeah. he gets is I want my mom. And so it's it's just, you know, more dots are connecting. This film has, you know, some some really again, it rewards rewatching because you put together different elements and and uh, things take on new contextual meaning and um, but it, the reason Garrett wants his mom in that moment is because he's scared and I, I think there's probably maybe we don't have time to, to dig too deep into it right now but but an element of when you are handed the world as we've been talking about you, you're handed the world in your pocket and you're not emotionally prepared for it a natural outgrowth of that is going to be a certain degree of fear and that you you may not even have the words or the understanding in the moment to recognize that this world is scaring you all of the because because we haven't really explicitly stated it on here but yeah uh eight and nine and seven year olds and 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 much younger than that if given access can just plumb the depths of the internet and we three know what a terribly horrendous place the internet can be in a number of different contexts and Then it would be natural to recognize that that can be scary. But if you're sitting there and you don't have emotional maturity, which is not your fault, you just don't have it yet, you don't know really what to do with that fear. So some people may retreat, and some people, like if they're it, like Luke, might press forward and just try to be what they're not. Um, or maybe it is as simple as just there's a schism there that is not able to appropriately navigate these things, but it was just connecting in the moment. That's like Garrett's final words are, I want my mom, and essentially we've been talking about how Luke is pursuing that exact same thing, but obviously in a much more heinous way, and, uh, and it all just comes back to it can be terribly scary to not know what to do with the feelings and impulses that, you're, that you have at play, and to not know how to how to handle them, how to cope with them. Unless, unless we forget, I mean, about an hour ago, Chris said his mom showed him child's play really young. (laughs) Chris, do we need to talk some? I mean, are you okay? Like (laughs) all all good horror comes from personal experience. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta point out something about that last line from Garrett. I want my mom in the script. It was, I want my mom. And then Luke aims and then shoots. Um, my editor, who I will work on for every film I ever do from here on out because she is a genius. She, she single-handedly made the tone of the movie work. Her name's Julianne DeRuvo. And, um, when she put 
that first scene together. We were watching it, and it was good. And then she said, watch this. And she cut off the last M of mom. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And he says, I want my mom. And in the middle of mom, he gets shot. Oh, man. And suddenly that scene went from like, oh, that was good to that. It's just heart wrenching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So it's it's a really great reminder to me that uh, sometimes you don't have to finish something on screen for it to have its impact. In fact, sometimes sure. it's more impactful when when it doesn't when the audience gets to finish the word or the thought. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and in the spirit of that, um, you know, I, I feel like we're at a decent uh, place to kind of resolve things. I want to be sensitive to your time, Chris. But one, thank you so much. I mean, this has been a real thrill. I uh, appreciate you being willing to, <laughs> to three days ago be like, who is this Yahoo? And <laughs> what on earth is he talking about? Um, so one, just thank you so much for being willing to come here. I do want you to more or less have the last word here, but tell our listeners in case they, it proves difficult to one, where they can find you online if they want to, you know, kind of follow your career and, and what you're working on. And two, to the extent you, you feel comfortable and able, can you, can you let us know what's kind of on the burner for you in the, in the coming months and or year and or years? Yeah. So, um, online I'm, I'm on Facebook, but that's more just like sure. non film related, just my friend stuff. So yeah. I would say yeah. if, if you want to chat movie, also, I love chatting horror movies in general. Find me on Twitter and my handle is just my last name, Peckover. Um, I, I'm very talkative on there and, and love, love my fellow horror fans. So that's, that's the, that's the best place to find me. Um, I also have Instagram where I post some weird, but we won't go into that. Um, <laughs> and then uh, final final words or thoughts. Uh, wait, you asked one other thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, one while we're paused. Um, hey, you like chatting horror? We like chatting horror. You're welcome to come back anytime, and maybe we'll make that happen in the future. But... Oh, what's what's on the horizon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's on the horizon for you? Uh, so I can't I can't say. Sure exactly because it hasn't been announced yet but i'll give you guys enough goodies that'll feel good nice so i am gearing up for my next film and better watch out cost about um two million dollars uh my next budget is multiple times bigger than that Mm. um and it's my first supernatural story it is the best thing i've ever written i'm so excited about this it is if if better watch out was so you guys will watch undocumented and you'll be like oh man um better watch out is more entertaining uh, undocumented is really good but it's it's like requiem for a dream like beat you in the face oh, heavy yeah um, almost it's it's very can't very wait <laughs> if you if you like if you like to go there undocumented will go there so better watch out was kind of like me figuring out how to take what i'm good at and make it kind of like more accessible. Sure. Um, this next movie is me learning again because something I learned about uh, how, how the industry works is unless your name is Sam Raimi, a horror comedy will never, ever, ever perform well or theatrically. They just don't do it. Marketers just don't know how to do it. So um, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's the truth. So my next film is me basically singing straight down the line saying given what i'm good at how 
not only how entertaining can I be, but also how commercial can I be? So I am going straight down. This is not going to be horror comedy. It's pure horror. It's still very emotional. We were in the middle of casting for it. So I, I, I am financed. We're in place. Uh, the, the producers and the director of uh, the, the Maze Runner trilogy are helping get the film made. And we were in the middle of casting in late September, uh, early October, when we had to put the brakes on because, again, I can't say which one yet, but a studio uh, got wind of the movie and said, we want to get involved. Sweet. Oh, that's so awesome. We're now not casting, and on Thursday, uh, I meet with the president of said studio to get uh, the final round of like thoughts about the script before we before we go to casting. So I'll be doing one last polish over the holidays. I am so excited about this story. It's I, I can't say what it is about yet, but it's it, a lot of people have been likening <laughs> it to like the original poltergeist and the conjuring oh. and, and a quiet place kind of like that, that ratio of like really scary when it's scary, but really like good character work and heartfelt when it's, when it's not being scary. Oh man. And I am so excited. Well, hang on. We'll, we'll turn off all recording devices and just feel free. I can tell you're excited. <laughs> feel free to just start spilling beans if you want. <laughs> oh my it's, gosh. It's it's pretty cool. Um, I feel like a bit of a, a leaf in a hurricane right now because I've always had to force the birth of my movies, and this is the first time where like once one person in the studio who was the president of one of the arms of the studio got wind of this project, he basically very smartly got the next person involved and the next person interested, and he's been kind of like creating a an army of people who are one by one agreeing that this movie works and is awesome. And then they all went to the president together, and the president was like, cool, all right, let's do it. Oh so, my I'm, gosh, I'm, meeting that's with, so exciting. I'm meeting with him uh, on Thursday, and I'm completely freaked out because I've only ever dealt with like private investors and, and you know, like indie producers, and this is, this is going to be a studio movie. So, well, man, we are, dude, we are going to be thinking of you and wishing you well. It's going to be awesome. I know in theater terms, you're supposed to say break a leg. I don't know quite the term for going into a pitch meeting, but I think you're going to do amazing. Uh, we're really uh, break, break an arm, break an arm. There it is. Uh, so, but, uh, I just want to thank you again so much. I know you, uh, you have to be going, but, uh, you're part of the fear of God family now. So maybe when this new film takes off, we would love to have you back, um, to discuss that, whatever it is, or, or really just to come back and chat another of your favorites with us. We'd love to have you back anytime. I cannot thank you enough, uh, on behalf of myself and Nathan for taking the time out, uh, especially on such short notice to be here with us. And, uh, thank you so much for your film too. We had a really, just an incredible, incredible amount of fun watching it and talking about it and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on it as well we really appreciate it thanks for having me and i will definitely be back and by the way i mean we're we're all connected on twitter but that'll be where i make the announcement so awesome. it should be getting awesome in February and, congr and sincerely March. congratulations about that yeah I know that's exciting yeah absolutely. hey knock on wood it's not it hasn't happened yet well 
it, once it gets announced, it's 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 official. So congratulations on possibilities. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, so guys, that's it. We'll we'll end it there for right now. Um, tune in next week when we finish our hashtag What the Dickens series with 2015's Krampus. Reacquaint yourself with that, and hopefully you're already gearing up for the finale of this series by reading Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Again, big thank you to director and writer Chris Peckover for his film better watch out and for joining us in this conversation thank you so much again, thank you Chris. Chris cool thank you guys talk soon talk to you soon all right bye 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 the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways you can follow us on Twitter at the fear of God you can like and follow us on Facebook or join the Facebook fear of God discussion group you can follow us on Instagram at fear of God podcast Go to morethanonelesson.com for show notes or to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.